And uh, today we're going to continue in our uh, lesson series, our talking about what it is to be a Christian or what a Christian actually is. Uh, not, n- not focusing on what the world wants a Christian to be or says a Christian is, but what we believe the Word of God says about the Christian life. Uh, last week we talked about uh, remembering, and we talked about Memorial Day, and we talked about the memorial of our communion time, which we just observed together, and how it's a holy time and a time of remembrance for the most important sacrifice uh, in the world, and uh, we, we hopefully can learn from those things. Uh, how many of y'all, uh, when you look in the mirror, you think you see a saint? I didn't figure anybody was going to raise their hand. And it's because we have a misunderstanding of what a saint is. All right? And that's, uh, not, not so, that's not an indictment to make you feel bad. It's just a common thing in culture. We have, we have uh, changed or, or lost sight of what a saint really is. And I hope today, after we finish our study, that we could be reminded of what a saint is and we could understand uh, how special it is to be a saint. And uh, there, I, I was thinking about this uh, hymn the entire time I was thinking about this message and talking about it and, and working it out. When the saints go marching in. You, raise your hand if you know that. I've heard it before. Everybody in the room ought to be raising their hand, except for maybe a, uh, whoever. Now, here's the thing. Think about this, y'all. Just a minute ago, I asked you if you look in the mirror and see a saint, and all y'all were like, mm. right? But when we sing that song, everybody stands up and starts singing it like they're part of the group going. So which is it? Which is it? Right? Which is it going to be? It's got to be one or the other. You can't have it both ways. The words, I've tried to look up the, the, the lyrics to that hymn, and I didn't realize there were so many versions of that, different ones. I mean, Bruce Springsteen even wrote, rewrote the words for that thing. Look it up, it's out there. These are some of the words of this one version. Oh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in, Lord, I want to be among that number when the saints go marching in. That's what everybody knows. Oh, when they crown him Lord of all, Oh, when they crown him Lord of all, oh, Lord, I want to be among the number when they crown him Lord of all. Oh, when all knees bow at his name, when all knees bow at his name, oh, Lord, I want to be among the number when all knees bow at his name. Oh, when they sing the Savior's praise, oh, when they sing the Savior's praise, oh, Lord, I want to be among the number when they sing the Savior's praise. And another verse says, Oh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in, Oh, Lord, I want to be in that that number. Right? Pretty simple. Pretty simple statement, isn't it? And all of us want to be in the presence of God as saved believers, right? When the Lord comes back, when it's time, when it's all said and done when the trumpet blasts, when all of Revelation becomes a reality, what John saw. Don't you want to be in in that number? Don't you want to be counted as one of his? That's what it means to be a saint. 
A saint is one who is simply set aside to be his. A believer, as we talked about in, the, in previous messages, a, a Christian is a believer who believes that Jesus is the Christ, who believes that uh, his death, burial, and resurrection is for the forgiveness of sin, and who also believes the gospel and the word of God that says if you believe, you'll repent. Also, you believe that the Bible says we should repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we believe this is the word of God. We go on and on with our beliefs according to the word of God, right? That's what a Christian is. We also talked about a Christian being a disciple, one who studies to, to make himself or herself stronger and growing in Christ. We're trying to be more and more like our Savior and less and less like an offender of God. Ultimately, a Christian, because of those things, is a fruit bearer for the kingdom of God. Bears fruit. Things happen. God works in the believers. God works in the Christian to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Great things happen. People get saved. Lives are changed. Blessings are bestowed upon others because of what it means to be a Christian. Also, we learned that a Christian is to be a servant. Jesus came to serve, so we're here to serve. We serve one another. We serve God. We serve even our enemies. Hello? <laughs> just, we're just re we're reviewing at this point. If, you don't, if, you don't, if you're missing something or if you're not catching up, go back and watch. They're still online. Go back and watch the other messages, and you'll be able to catch up. And last week, as I mentioned, we, a Christian is one who remembers, one who never forgets the sacrifice that was made for salvation. For the forgiveness of sins. Not only re remembering the sacrifice, but remembering the reason we need the sacrifice, which is vital. It goes together. If you don't remember that you've sinned and offended God, then it doesn't matter if you remember the sacrifice, right? So we praise God for all of it. Isn't, isn't it a special thing to be a Christian, y'all? I think it is. I, I feel privileged to even say my name and the name Christian together. It shouldn't be. It, should, it just shouldn't be. It's, 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 total, it's always amazing to me if I were to just sit down and shut everything off and just think about that fact. My, my name, my personal being, associated with what it means to be a Christian. It just shouldn't be. But here it is. Right? And this is why I think when I say, or anyone else says, uh, would you consider yourself a saint? We are reluctant to jump up and down and say, yeah, I'm a saint. Because we don't, want, we don't want to brag. We want to be humble, right? But we also know things about ourselves that nobody else but God knows. And the picture that's been drawn over the years about what sainthood is seems to be one of perfection, right? And that's not the case. It's not the case. There's never been any perfect person in this world that's ever existed except for our Lord, right? And if that's the case, then sainthood cannot be something of perfection because Romans chapter 1, verse 7 Paul addresses the, the believers in Rome. He says, uh, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 
He's saying to the believers, you're called to be a saint. He's referring to them as saints, the believers. He didn't name them off. Right, because once you start, see, this is the good, if you're gonna, ever going to teach a class, a Bible class, or uh, any other class, or, or make a speech, or preach a sermon, just best not to call out names, because you're inevitably going to forget somebody. <laughs> right? Just don't call names out, because you're going to forget somebody, and then you're going to have to explain yourself, and then you're going to have to apologize, and people are gonna, it's just never going to be good. He's not calling out any names when he's writing to the Romans, to those in Rome. He's writing to the saints, to the ones who are called to be saints, to the believers. There's a Greek word that's in the original writings in the, in, in the New Testament portions, and it's used 56 times in the New Testament, and it's always translated as saints. It also can be translated to mean holy one or sanctified one, that word, right? Now, even those terms, holy one and sanctified one, it's difficult to assign those terms to self, isn't it? It's difficult to look in the mirror and say, yeah, there's one of the holy ones. Or there's one of the sanctified ones. Because I don't know about y'all, but this right here, let me give you a full picture. This right here is a work in progress. Guaranteed. And if I ever think otherwise, I'm in a lot more trouble than I ever thought I was. And the same is true for every one of y'all, isn't it? Work in progress. So how can I be one of the holy ones? How can I be one of the sanctified ones? The word that's used in the original Greek literally means to be set apart. Not just set apart, but exclusively for God set apart. Anybody ever mentioned that to you before? You ever thought about the Christian life that way? You ever thought about yourself that way? We're set apart. We're not only set apart. God didn't, in the Old Testament, there were things that were holy or, or set aside to be holy. And they were things, always things. In the New Testament, it only talks about people being set aside to be holy. S exclusively for God. I wonder if we know what the word exclusive means. If you're married, you better know what it means. Yeah? I know in today's world, it doesn't seem that many people understand that, but today, uh, the Bible still says what it said in the beginning, that there's a, a husband and a wife, and that's it. They come together, there's nobody else. And if you go outside of that commitment, you're not exclusive anymore. Exclusive means only for. And when we enter into this covenant with God, this covenant of salvation, this marriage, it really is a marriage covenant between the bride and uh, Jesus, the groom, we're saying there's going to be no one else. You're my God. You are Lord. And there will be nothing else. So we're set aside. We're set apart. We, as a whole, as the body of Christ, but also as individual believers. Because you, we all have responsibility for this, don't we? We have a responsibility. The Lord has uh, sent us into the world to go and make disciples, preaching the gospel. And he's expecting us to stay true to what we've been set aside for. And not give ourselves to anything else in this world but him. That's what the word saint means. 
So if in, the, in that context or in that understanding, when I say, how many of y'all would consider yourself to be a saint, I would hope that you would change your answer now according to what God says a saint is or what the Bible says a saint is. If the Bible says a saint is one who is set aside for God only, one who is holy or is being sanctified, I would say everybody who's a believer should raise their hand. A Christian is a saint. That's why when we sing, when the saints go marching in, we all stand up and we're all excited about that because we all want to go. The problem is, is we all want to go without what it takes between now and then. Because when the trumpet sounds and the music's playing and we're all singing, when the saints go marching in, we all want to get up and get in line. But until then, we're just kind of laid back thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can cut it. I'll answer that question. No, you can't. You can't cut it. You can't make it. That's why Jesus died. That's why he's here. That's why he came. He died because you can't do it. Amen? <laughs> That's, <laughs> Christians understand that. We're set, we are, God set us aside. We did not set ourselves aside. The question, the gospel is a question to the world that says, would you like to be set aside for God? And as believers, as disciple makers, as disciples, as fruit bearers, we're, we're to go into the world and ask that question to everybody. Would you like to be set aside for God? Because even people who aren't Christians sing that hymn when the saints go marching in. They don't even know what it means. They're not even thinking about the words. They're just singing it because it's a fun song to sing. Go to New Orleans and you will hear that song every day on the streets of New Orleans. It's become a folk song. Right? I'm okay with it because it's preaching the gospel. It's only the saints that are going to go marching in, y'all. It's only the ones who are holy or set aside to be holy. It's only the sanctified ones. It's only the ones who are believers, who, who Jesus died for, and they committed themselves into that relationship with him. Those are the only ones that are going to go marching in to the presence of God. Yeah? So a Christian is a saint, according to what we're reading. Look at 1 Peter here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and, and, and 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I'm holy. As a, as a young believer, after I was baptized and started my walk with Christ, I remember struggling with this a little bit, trying to figure out how can, how, how can I be holy if God's holy? Because I was still, uh, I was still keenly aware of my sin and, 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 and my status between me and God as one who wasn't committed as a believer. I was still fresh into that. So, so, so when I'm told to be holy because he's holy, I struggled with that. How, how can this sinner be holy? If God is holy, I, there's no way I'm holy. And as I grew in Christ and as I studied the word and as I prayed about things and the spirit of God helped me grow I soon came to an understanding that if the scripture tells me or if God gives me instructions through scripture to do something it must be possible yeah how many of y'all believe that God is going to set you up to fail see he's not like me 
He's not like me and my construction guys I used to work with. We ever get a new guy on, on, a, on the crew, we'd always, always send him to the toolbox for some tool that don't exist. And just wait. We'll let him all day look for that thing. Just to give him a hard time. And he'd be in there looking. He's afraid to ask us, what does it look like? What is, he's acting like he knew what it was. It don't even exist. That's not what God does. God doesn't say, go be holy and then sit back and laugh at you trying to be holy because you know you can't be holy. No, you must be uh, able to become holy if he sent you to be holy, right? He's saying, be holy because I'm holy. In my righteousness is how you be holy, how you become holy. This is how saints live. This is how we become saints. We're, we're made holy because of what he does. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 also says, He saved us and called us to a holy life. This is what Jesus died for. This is, the, this, is, this is the end product of what God did on the cross. This is his promise fulfilled from Genesis. Everything is wrong, and I'll make it right. That's what God promised. And when we look at our lives... And we come to this conclusion because we're preaching the gospel every day to everybody, to young people and older folks. And we're preaching the gospel and the Lord is convicting them. They're coming to terms with the fact that everything is wrong or everything is broken because of sin. And God has the solution. In other words, people have been destroyed because of sin, but God can fix that and did fix that. And this sinner... It is, it's an amazing testimony of what God can do with a broken vessel. And the only one that really understands that fully is me. Because I'm the only one that knows everything there is to know about self, about me. I know everything God has done with this vessel. I know everything God has fixed I know all, every mess God ever cleaned up. I know the ones he's working on now. Work in progress. You see? And the same thing is true for all of you. Each one of us are a testimony. Our lives, our very being, the fact that we're uh, saints set aside to be holy, being sanctified, is the testimony about how powerful our God is. Some of your... Uh, believer, uh, your friends that aren't believers, they might look at you and say, oh, if, if that's what a Christian looks like, then I don't want to be one because they see all what's wrong with you or at least what they think is wrong with you. Not realizing that we're all like that. <laughs> all the Christians are broken. All the Christians are a work in progress. All the Christians are growing out of things and becoming better at certain things. That's the, that's the message that's the truth. That's the gospel. Bunch of, bunch of broken people made whole again. And they're set aside as holy. Isn't that great, y'all? What the Lord's done? Isn't it awesome what God can do? And so many people are passing up on the opportunity to be set aside to be holy, set aside to be his exclusively, just because they think that they've done too much bad stuff. God can never forgive me for what I've done or how I've been or what I think or whatever. There's nothing that you could do. There's nothing that all of us could do together that God can't fix and make right again. 
So how do we live? If we're saints, then how do we do this? How do we live as saints? We're called to it. Okay, let's say we're called to it, and we answer the call. It's like, okay, I want to do this. Okay, how do we do it? Acts chapter 15, verse 29, we're, the first thing we need to do is notice that we're to abstain from certain things. We're changing the way we live. We're changing what we do or, or what we don't do. We're, we're, we abstain from a few things, certain things. Like verse uh, 29 of Acts chapter 15 says, you are, to, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now, let's not go so literal into this particular part of Scripture because it's referring to some cultural things in the day, but the point is that we're abstaining from having other gods. We're abstaining from worshiping anything other than God. We're abstaining from this need that we have from the things of this world, and we're depending totally on God. I mean, after all, if we say we want Jesus to be Lord and Savior, which means God the Father is the creator and, and the master of it all, then we are committed to that wholly, completely. Right? Things that don't honor God, we abstain from. Uh, something else we can read in, in Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It says, which war against your soul? Sinful desires, it says. Abstain from sinful desires. The word desires gets me in this. As we studied this a couple weeks ago, the emphasis was on what's in the heart of a man or woman person right the evil desires these aren't satan's desires these aren't my neighbor's desires these are desires within me that are evil there's a battle going on in our hearts and in our minds because there's some things in life that we just want and the world makes it look so great that we begin to hone our skills at condoning or justifying so that we can say to ourselves well this will be okay this will be all right it's not really sinful it's not really wicked so much so that sometimes people take this word sinful or evil or wicked and we just eliminate it from the scripture so we don't have to see it ultimately we don't have any scripture but they war against your soul. They're pulling you away from God. You make the commitment. You get set aside by God to be holy and to be sanctified. You're labeled as a saint by God. And the world and the wickedness in the world wants to pull you back from that because the world doesn't want to see what God can do. And the world doesn't want you to see what God can do. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, abstain from all forms of impurity. For God did not call us to impurity, but to live what? A holy life. Which, which makes me come to a conclusion, or at least a question that I would ask myself in a Bible study, or uh, some kind of a uh, discussion about this, is what's God calling you to? Or what call are you answering? Maybe a better question. There's always the call, isn't there? There, were cert there was a couple of friends that my mother would never let me go hang out with because she knew that if I did, I, she would get a phone call from some 
adult somewhere in the world. And it wasn't going to be good because I'm hanging out with those couple boys that we always got in trouble. And I always blamed it on them, but their parents probably saying the same thing about me. You're not hanging out with him. So what, what call are you answering? Who, where, where are you going in this world? What are you doing with your life? What are you committed to? Are you called to be a sinner or are you called to be a saint? We're called, the saints are, be, uh, the believers are called to be holy. That's what the Bible tells us. So the second thing we can look at as far as what it, how to live like a saint or how to be a saint or how a saint lives is what are we trying to be like then? If we're abstaining from these things, then there must be something else to do, something else to run to if we're running away from something. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 uh, to 24 talks about you were taught with reg uh, regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, that's repentance, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, your old self and its deceitful desires. It's your responsibility, your sin is, to give it to God, to be made, look, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, changing your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's explaining to the Ephesians what it looks like to repent from being a sinner or one who is not set aside and become one who is set aside. This is what it looks like, the difference. You have one who offends God and then you have one who doesn't offend God. You have one who loves the world and you have one who doesn't love the world. You have one who runs to sin and you have one that runs away from sin and runs to God, runs to holiness, runs to righteousness. Notice all of it happens because of what God did to make it that way. The only thing that we can do to engage in what God has done is to change our minds so that he can change our hearts. Do you, you realize all that's standing between those who are not saved, all that's standing between them and salvation is the changing of their mind. All they have to do is just say, you know what? Maybe this is all true. Maybe I believe this is true. I used to not believe it, but now I do. Change my mind. And once that happens, hold on, because the Lord's got, he's got them. That's what happened to me. I walked into that church one day thinking that I was going to add the church to my kingdom. I had no plans on surrendering my kingdom when I walked into that church. But it wasn't even just a few months later. It was all upside down. It was, a, it was like, it was like, a, it was like a, a bad train wreck happened in my life, and the pieces were scattered everywhere. But it really wasn't that. It was God turning tables over and throwing stuff out. This don't belong here. That don't belong here. This is out. That's out. Put this in here because I surrendered my kingdom to him. And he cleaned house. And it wasn't always pleasant, the process of being made holy or set aside because he had to let, help me let go of things that I didn't want to let go of in my life. He had to make me this new person in Christ. I, did, I, did, I wanted the old person to be saved. And the old person offended God. So no. He wanted me to be the new person, the one who Jesus died for. Isn't it great, y'all? 
This is what happens to every believer. This is the way it is. This is why salvation is so important. This is why when someone uh, commits their life to Christ and gets saved by the changing of their mind and their repentance, we jump up and down for joy, and they get to sing when the saints go marching in with us. Because they're one of us now. They're one of the crowd that gets to go and be in the presence of God by the grace of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, notice you refer to as holy again, believer, right? Dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a toughie. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So you went from being the sinner who's offending God, who's living for the world, who is not singing when the saints go marching in, to all of this what we just read. This is what it looks like to be set aside to be holy. This is the product of holiness in your life. This is the product of the righteousness of Christ in your life. This is not a list of things that the believers try really hard to do better. That's not what this is. This is a description of what happens to those who are surrendered to God setting them aside. To God saying, I want, I want this one, and I'm going to set it over here because it's mine. It's holy. Right? So when you look in the mirror, that's what you should see. When you look in the mirror, you should see one that God loves so much that he would send Jesus to die the way that he did and be resurrected so that the Spirit of God would come so that you can look like what's described in Colossians chapter 3. Not for you to look at me and say, uh, man, look at that saint. I'm a great saint. What kind of great saint I've been? No. It's so that God would be glorified because of the kind of saint that you are. Right? Because really, if we're living totally surrendered to God and he's having his way in our life and all of these things are becoming ev evident in our life on, on a regular basis and righteousness of Christ is becoming more evident and the holiness of God is becoming more evident, people really shouldn't look at you and say, if that's the way Christians are, I don't want to be. Or if Christians are made up of those bad people. No, they should look and say, man, I know that family over there. And they ain't got it all together. But I can still see God in their lives. Maybe I want what they got. How do I figure that out? That, that's how God draws people to him. That's how God gets people's attention. Because the fruit of the Spirit of God is alive in your life, even if, even if you're not getting it perfect. You're still set aside to be holy you're still a saint you're still his <laughs> all right all right so now why should why should we be holy right because some, some people believe the one saved always saved uh idea and i don't uh i'm not going to get into a long discussion about that but i just i think that i think that you can walk away from your salvation i think you can choose not to be saved anymore you can choose to reject god if you if your heart gets so dark and black you could do it why why do i why do i even want to be holy why, why do i care i mean i, I want to be saved don't get me wrong 
But why would, why would I, if I'm saved, why don't I just sit in the back of the church or sit at home or go drive around every day and not worry about any of it? Why, why try to be holy? Why even care about that? Because in Ephesians chapter 1, we read, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. The reason why we care about being holy, the reason why we care about the bigger picture than just salvation, just forgiveness, is because it's what God had in mind way before creation ever happened. It's the will of God. You see, Jesus died to forgive sins. Everybody says amen, right? But really, Jesus died for you to be holy. The forgiveness of sin is part of that process. It's the important part, but it's there. You are a trophy for the Lord. You've heard of trophy wife or trophy husbands. People, you know, people joke around. You know, there's somebody to look good stand next to you. I'm not very good at being a trophy husband, but I try. God, God prays us around as his children. He prays us around as ones he loves. He prays us around as ones who, who are, that, that he repaired, that he put back together. Do we really think that Satan and his sinful ways or man and his sinful desires could really disrupt God's creation so much that God couldn't fix it and put it back or, or make it better? No. There's no one greater than God. Ever. All of creation for eternity could never destroy what God has made. Now, we can do some damage. God gives us the choice as whether or not we want to be fixed, whether or not we want to be forgiven, whether or not we want to be made whole, whether or not we want to have this new life that we just read about in, in the Scripture. Here's something else. Here's, what, here's something else we should be... Uh, having a desire to be holy or pursuit of holiness uh, is to be useful for the kingdom of God. I think, I think many Christians, many believers, many people who genuinely love God, they either don't see this or don't care about this, or maybe they're still growing into this, but they just don't see the importance of getting involved in the kingdom of God. But that's what we're set aside for, y'all. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy, there it is again, made holy, useful to the master, made holy, and then it says useful to the master, and prepared to do, right? Does it say to do good work? Or did I miss a word? It says, prepared to do any good work. Listen, I want you to listen close. Because we here in this congregation are, are not any different than many other, if not all other congregations, where many times people say, oh, I'm not gifted to do that, or that's not my specialty, or this or that. Whatever the reason, we shrink back from doing something for the kingdom... The scripture says we can be prepared to do any good work. As long as we're set aside to be holy. 
God's the one who prepares you. Right? If God's preparing you, then how can it go wrong? Hello? <laughs> if God's doing it, how can it go wrong? How can God's train don't come off the track, y'all? And I have to repent my own self because I worry about that sometimes. Am I, am I going to wreck this? I mean, even when I came to this church, I've told my mentors and my other preaching buddies, like, you know what? The Lord's doing some great things at this church, and all I got to do is keep from wrecking the train. I got to keep from being the problem. As if I could wreck what God's doing. Right? It's tough. It's tough. It's, it's a challenge. It's a battle. It's constant. Because God is setting us aside and Satan's trying to get us to not believe that and go back and doubt and fall away and shrink back. But God's preparing us for the work. Whatever's going on in this church in the future, God's already preparing us for it. You know, we prayed about this uh, since I started coming here, about the future of this church, and we got all excited, and then life happened. The world got shut down, and since then, we're trying to get our momentum back. But you know what? God never lost any sleep over no pandemic or anything else that's happened within the lives of the people in this church. Not even my own life. None of it's going to wreck what God's trying to do. If we, just get, get, if we just get busy and being about the Lord business and we get busy and trusting God that he's at work and he's going to make it happen and we do things that seem crazy or we get out of our comfort zone and start doing, self-included, God will have his way. And, and people will notice that not, not only with, alongside the rest of the body of Christ, but this congregation has been set aside to be holy. This is a congregation full of saints that are going to be with the Father one day. And the invitation is wide open to everybody in Arden, North Carolina. Do you want to be a saint? Isn't that great? It's just that simple. It really is. We have to get our minds living in the power of what God is doing. Now, how many of y'all want to have a powerful prayer life? Taking notes, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love to talk about the power of prayer. The problem is, is we all struggle from time to time with our prayer life and, and the faith that comes along with it and the commitment that comes along with it. But you know, prayer is the number one thing that we have to have as a worker for the kingdom of God. Prayer is the most powerful tool that we do have. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. In other words, if I'm focused on the sinful desires, if I don't flee from the wicked things, if I don't stay committed to what God set me aside for, if I'm not exclusively His, and I'm involved in things that don't honor Him, then it's hard for Him to communicate with me about the things that I pray about. Not that He doesn't want to hear. He just, it's, 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 I always equate this to when my son was a, a young boy and I would say to him, go do your chores. And then he would come back to me later and say, can I go out with the guys and go do this or that? And the question always was, did you get your chores done? And if the answer was yes, then most likely we're going to let him go do whatever he wants to do. But if the answer was no, then there was usually some kind of a father-son type of uh, argument slash discussion 
because he constantly wanted to talk to me about where he wanted to go, and I wasn't hearing it because I'm talking to him about what he's supposed to be doing. And it wasn't that I didn't care about what he wanted to talk about. It was that he, I'm talking to him about what's important first. And if we're involved in sin or if our, our lives aren't where God wants them to be and we got some work to do there, then God is trying to say to you, we need to talk about this right now before we ever talk about that. That's the first key to the powerful prayer life. Holy, people that are set aside to be holy are, are consumed by the will of God. And we always want to think about that as the will of God when we talk about the will of God and how grand that is and, and everybody's getting saved and people are getting baptized. We can't keep water in because I'm splashing it all out because we're baptizing so many people. That seems like a great thing. But sometimes the will of God is for you to just repent in your own life. Stop sinning sometimes in your life. You can't honor God if you're sinning at the same time. And the whole world is not going to see how you're set aside to be holy if you're not holy, if you're not being holy. That's why your prayer life is so important, because it helps you stay clean. It helps you be clean. It helps you be sanctified. Powerful prayer life. Because when you pray for others with a powerful prayer life, it's all over then. Because then, then you're praying for people, boom, things are happening. You're praying for people over here, then boom, things are happening over there. I want you all to pray for me as your preacher as your preacher and about what I'm doing as a preacher, but also love it when I find out y'all are praying for me in my personal life. I feel that. But if y'all were just a bunch of unrepentant sinners, those prayers wouldn't mean nothing. That's how it works. Why should we be holy? Because you're praying for people. Because you're praying for souls. Because you're a witness for God. All right, final thing here, why should we be holy? So we can see God. <laughs> that sounds cool. I want to see God. I, I, I love to see God. I used to think when I was younger, I'm like looking out, looking out into the sky, I want to see God one day, just like come out of the sky. And I finally had to learn that God shows himself within the believers and around the world. I've seen God at hospitals. I've seen God at funeral homes. I've seen God in the church. I've seen God in people's homes. I've seen God out in the community, in the restaurants. I've seen God at the police department. I've seen God in the jailhouse. I've seen God and what he does. I've seen the worst sinner in the world repent and get saved. Nobody else in the world would have thought they were going to get saved, but I've seen it happen. That's when you see God. I see God heal people. I see God, even when they don't get physically healed, God carries them and gives them strength, and they become this awesome witness for his kingdom until the Lord calls them home. You want the world to see God? Then we have to be holy. We have to be his hands and feet. We have to be prepared for the good works. We have to be willing to go out and use our powerful prayer life for the, for the kingdom. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without being set aside as holy, without being a saint, you cannot see the Lord. These are facts from the Word of God. They're not up for debate. It's not. The only way to be in the presence of holiness is to be holy. That's the reason why Jesus is on the cross and he's about to give up his life because nobody takes it, remember. 
He's about to give it up freely. And he cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, in that moment in time, he took on the sin of man and he was no longer holy. So therefore, the holiness of the Father could not look upon him. You see? You see what Jesus has done. You see what Jesus has done for me and for you. Because if without that, then the Father couldn't look upon you because of your sinfulness, because you're not holy. The only way you can be made holy is in Christ, in His holiness. And it was the same Father who brought Him back from the dead so that He could have eternal life, show us the way to live forever, show us the way to become holy. Isn't that great? What an, what an awesome plan. Perfect plan. What a powerful plan. All right, so we're going to finish up with this here. How can we be a saint? If you're already a believer, you already know the answer. You should already know the answer. If you're already a believer, you already know, and hopefully if you're paying attention this morning, you already know you already are a saint. You are a saint. You're called to be a saint. You've answered the question, I want to be a saint. You've repented. You were baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The Spirit of God come to live in your, in your heart. You've been in the process of sanctification. You've been set aside to be holy. That's what it means to be a saint. That's how you become a saint. The gospel. What do you believe about Jesus? Your answer to that question determines whether or not you're a saint or not. And you can sing, you can sing to him all you want to. But nowhere in this scripture does it say, sing the hymn when the the saints go marching in and you can be with God. No. What it says is, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you should repent accordingly. You should stop being an offender of God. You should change your mind about the way you're living. And you should run to his holiness. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where that scripture described a new life, from the old life to the new life. And we have the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of life eternal. See, we're holy because of his holiness. We're holy in his holiness. It's his righteousness. The Spirit of God comes in and takes up residence. And, and the righteousness and holiness of God is now in you and coming out of you. The only thing we have to do then is to just continue to nurture that and continue to, to have this re- great relationship with that. Submit, obey, enjoy. Be amazed. Let the Lord use you as a tool for his kingdom. Second Thessalonians, as we close, chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. We ought to, always, we ought to always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God, look, chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The cleaning up, sanctification means to clean up the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and through belief in the truth. Believe. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He says he called you to this through our gospel. No one is going to become a saint without somebody preaching the gospel to them, without God presenting the truth to them. that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, do, why should a believer, why should someone who's already a believer care about this verse? 
Why, why should we care about this verse? Because I've already heard the gospel. I've already responded to it. I'm already saved. I'm already a saint. I'm already set aside to be holy. I'm already there. Why should I care? Why should, why should we care? Because Jesus commanded us as believers to go into the world and preach the gospel. Why? So that someone else could have the same opportunity to be set aside to be holy, to become a saint. And if for some reason there's a disconnect in our hearts or our minds about our responsibility there, then we might need to look in the mirror again and say, am I really a saint? Am I really saved? Because when we are saved and the Spirit of God takes up residence, suddenly not only our mind is changed, but our own will begins to change. It's no longer my will, it's God's will in my heart. That's why Jesus says, ask whatever you wish in the name of the Lord and I'll make it happen. In my name, ask whatever you wish. I mean, because I'm going to ask what he wants. I'm, my, my will is going to be his, so I'm going to talk to him about the things that are already in his will. And it is his will that everybody in this world hears the gospel and has an opportunity to answer the question about Jesus and themselves. I love you and the Lord loves you. You guys are all saints, according to the word of God. I hope that makes you feel good. I hope you go home and you celebrate. You look in the mirror in the morning, it's like, I'm a saint. I'm a saint in the army of the Lord. I'm going to be with the Lord forever. And if you start your day like that every day, you'll be blessed for the whole day. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. You've heard me preach the gospel a couple times this morning. So come down here and receive the Lord if you haven't done so.